Hey everyone, welcome back to the Microcast and Microcosm Community Call. This call is recorded live on Friday, January 20th. The never enough mentality and approach to work, life, relationships, and financial status is an ever-present part of today's culture. It shows up everywhere, and for athletes, this same mentality crosses over into training, goal setting, and the athletic life in general. It has far-reaching impacts on our mental health and overall contentment. On today's call, we define what this mentality is and discuss several ways in which we see it manifest in ourselves and in the athletes we coach. We're doing this in an attempt to help athletes become more aware of this mentality so you all can better avoid the pitfalls in living in this mindset and in the process develop a stronger relationship with yourselves while feeling more contentment in an athletic life. As the call develops, we try to offer practical methods and solutions for working through the never enough mentality in training and in goal setting. We also lean on licensed clinical social worker and mental health expert Sarah Strong to offer us mindfulness tips and active solutions to help us grow our awareness and perspective around the subject. The goal here is to help our athletes get to a place where they can make better decisions in training and goal setting. Ultimately, so many of these takeaways can be applied right back into life too. So make sure you stick around and listen to this part of the call. Ultimately, the most important relationship you have is the one with yourself. No achievement will ever feel like enough, like it's enough if your self-worth isn't intact. I hope you enjoy this episode. And as usual, if you have any feedback, a question for a future call, or are looking for support in your running journey, please visit us on the web at microcosm-coaching.com or contact us at microcosmcoaching at gmail.com. Yeah, good to see everybody. Got, I think, a, a pretty interesting topic. Um, one of the things that we're working on with these calls this year is to, yeah, just stick to one to one or two topics for a call. That way, um, the formatting is a little more coherent. And uh, when athletes go to reference these calls later on, it's a lot easier to like keyword search something that they're interested in. Um, and then this becomes a more valuable resource over time. Um, I think already we've got so many calls for uh, for you all that um, well, it does become hard to find topics, but sometimes um, it's great to yeah, revisit topics. And this is definitely a topic we've touched on uh, many times in the past, but I don't think we've done like a full call on it. Um, not to my not to my recollection anyways, but hoping that you guys get something out of this. Today, we're talking about the never enough mentality. Um, we're talking about what, you know, what is it? How does it manifest in, in our training? Like, what do we see um, in, in athletes, whether it's in training, goal setting, just general approach. Um, the, the purpose behind this is like wanting to help you guys build awareness around this because when we're driven by a never enough mentality, we often end up in uh, mental spaces where we, we're not making decisions that are always in our best interest. We're not zooming out. We're not always approaching with a, an infinite mindset. And sometimes this can, yeah, lead to just like a lot of dissatisfaction. Um, I think all of the coaches have seen this manifest in athletes. And I think it's also kind of one of those things where as high performers, right? Like we're all high performers. We have a coach where I assume you have a coach because you want to get better. Um, Shout out to the people listening who haven't hired us yet. Yeah. And, and like, we, we feel that too. Like, you know, we're trying to get better. We're all athletes. We're all involved in the training process. And when we are really goal oriented, when we're looking at things through the lens of continual growth and getting better, it is sometimes easier. It sometimes is easy to fall into some of these traps. So we and, want to talk about one of those today. Yeah. And I think like a guiding principle that I would like folks to use when they're listening is like, this is super common. Everyone sees this, experiences this to an extent. If you notice that this is something that's like really interfering with your, or interfering at all with your quality of life, we're like, we as non-professional mental health practitioners, with the exception of Sarah, can help kind of address and remediate some of the symptoms 
But like, like with anything, if there's a really profound underlying cause, this is something that I would really encourage folks to investigate with a trained mental health professional, because if you're only addressing the symptoms, like what we'll be doing talking about today, um, that's only going to be like a short-term fix. And I think you're going to see a lot more success with like making sure this is something you consistently revisit with a mental health professional. Yeah. And I think that that is a great kind of like blanket statement there because not everyone like this isn't going to resonate on that level with everyone but if this is something that again you find driving a lot of your daily like how you inhabit the world I think that I'm just going to open that up for permission to seek to phone a friend well why don't we I I 100% agree why don't we start with maybe defining kind of like what our view is of of like the never enough mentality like, how does, what do you feel that means? What would be your definition of that? I mean, I think like, A, I want to just acknowledge that like some amount of that is like super normal and part of the human condition, right? Like our brains are programmed to always be seeking a little bit more. That used to be a really great like evolutionary adaptation back in the day. Unfortunately, our software doesn't update very quickly. uh, Unlike my phone that updates like every other night when I'm asleep. So there's a bit of a lag in how our brains work and how that functions in the world that we live in today. So like, it's normal. We're not here to judge. We're all on that journey as well. We all have brains. Secondarily, if I just think that it becomes a problem when you find that it is guiding a lot of your daily decision making and it's informing how you move about the world. Well, how would you define it? You're making decisions based on the assumption that you are not enough as you are. Yeah, I love that definition. I think that that's that's like pretty much spot on. Um, Yeah, and I, I do feel like we're kind of like flirting with this, but we haven't said it but like the most important relationship you have is the one with yourself, right? So like, no matter what you are doing and running, your career, your relationships, no matter what your financial position is, all of those things are external to you. Those are situational successes. Um, And so they're never gonna feel like enough if your self-worth isn't intact. And so when that is kind of like the internal state, Um, it can be really easy to then like fall into these traps of like pursuing the external successes and external validation all the time to try to kind of like fill yourself up with those, what I would consider to be very, um, yeah, like very finite validations, like kind of like validations that are happening instantaneously and on, on the surface, but don't last um, you know, they don't last for an extended period of time. And this is something that like, I think it was really great that you mentioned kind of like the evolutionary part of our brains that adapt that like long ago adapted to go for kind of these like short-term validations or quick validations, whether or not it was like trying to like, I don't know, find like a great like piece of, of meat or something like that, that offered like a real short term, like, I don't know if I'll ever get this again. So I want to eat it now. That used to be super, if you had the type of brain back in the day, that was like, I've got to always be getting more meat. Like that type of brain is just going to be more likely to survive in those circumstances. Unfortunately, the circumstances have changed a lot and our brains have just not changed much. Right. And like our ability to get things that gratify us in the short term, it's like, it's really high, right? Like we can reach for many things at any moment to give us that, like, validation now and sometimes we need to take that step back and work on the inner self in order to make sure that um we really are feeling like we're enough and that that self-worth is intact right like we're going for those more infinite processes here and i think like something that's been helpful for me in this journey is like assessing like does this serve me does this not serve me so that that way i'm not putting a moral judgment on normal things my brain does like I can be really hard on myself. I can, you know, be very critical, but like sometimes being very critical of my own work is like what makes me a good editor. So that does serve me. There are points though, where it does not serve me. So like being able to really discreetly address, like, is this serving me in this situation? Is this not serving me rather than like beating myself over the head for not being a Zen master at all times? (laughs) Yeah. And again, like this is all, ideally we're working to build awareness 
through like a non-judgmental mind. Um, and so that would be one of those things. It's like, you know, do we want to beat ourselves up when we, you know, realize that we're maybe approaching this in a way that we uh, could do better with, or, you know, are we going to um, take the non-judgmental approach? And it's like, hey, you know, this is okay. This gives me the opportunity to work on that again in the future. And I think as athletes, like that's the most important mindset to have around this because goals make this really challenging um, because goals are are finite, they're external. And um, I, I want to get into that a little bit and open this up with the other coaches. Um, I'm curious, let, let, Drew, uh, let's start kind of in the in the vein of training, like in what ways as a coach are you seeing that never enough mindset kind of show up for athletes in training and, and kind of end up being a, a struggle or a pitfall, something that kind of like creates a, a barrier for progress? Yeah, surely I'm not the only coach that sees it. And really a lot of you athletes will probably identify it in your training as well. But uh, typically some things that we will see where we think that maybe an athlete's kind of going down the wrong path of that, like I'm not enough is we see um, people maybe adding on a little bit too much um, uh, outside of their prescribed ranges, uh, maybe see maybe adding on a, an extra interval and a speed workout because maybe a previous interval they didn't deem was good enough. Um, maybe seeing them run a little faster than maybe we prescribe. I see that oftentimes in a lot of my speed workouts with a lot of my athletes be like, well, I know you said do this, but I was just, I felt like I needed to do more kind of thing. Um, and explaining that in log, I mean, there is several, several different ways, um, that it kind of shows up. Um, and, and as a coach, I know me and I'm sure the rest of you, um, identifying it, right. We, we see it, we know it. Um, someone might not come out and say like, I just felt like I, I needed to do more because I didn't, I don't feel like I'm on the right trajectory. I don't feel like I'm enough as cliche as that sounds per the, the conversation. But, uh, although they may not say that you can identify it, you see patterns in training, you see what's going on, um, and, and calling it out saying like, Hey, like I, I wrote this because of this reason, like explain it. Um, um, and, and obviously everyone's different, but being able to explain the why behind the workouts that we've discussed before, um, we don't just make up numbers or make up, uh, uh times or paces or whatever, like it's all got a purpose and explaining why, um, so that that athlete maybe understands more about, I guess, every or any specific workout when those uh, tendencies kind of come up. Um, now, why an athlete feels that way, I know we'll get back into that, but as it pertains to training, like, yeah, lots of lots of things. And honestly, I don't know many athletes and myself included. I catch myself doing it all the time. Um, I don't know anyone that's immune to this kind of behavior or this kind of thinking, um, obviously in like everyday life, but specifically with training, like it's, it's normal and it's natural. And I think that's why it helps to have someone, um, not just for like the accountability and all the stuff we, we hire a coach for, but someone to help guide that thought process as it pertains to training. Yeah, 100%. And I think like, just trying to normalize that, like, this is something that we, I feel like we are all contending with as athletes. And then it's up to us to, to try to build awareness around it so we can make better decisions. You know, I don't know a single athlete who's like never added a mile on or like added an extra hill stride because the first one didn't like feel as good as they thought it should. Like all of these things where it's like, yeah, like it's pretty blurry there. You know, like why, you know, why are you approaching things that way? Why didn't you think that hill stride was good enough? You know, uh, when we're zooming out and looking at training from a long-term perspective, does that one hill stride make a difference? No, it doesn't. And so like often, you know, it's that like process of uh, hyper-evaluation that can kind of lead us to uh, making some choices that if repeated over and over again can become an issue. I think that like the challenge is that a lot of these things like don't make a positive difference, but they can definitely be like one hill stride can be the difference between injury and health. Right. And I think that something that like comes up oh, like this is injury and like frequent injury or repeated injury, can, like sometimes be an indication that this is a part of your journey that needs a little extra care and attention. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. So I think like, 
that like all or nothing approach to training is kind of like something that we'll see in, in athletes, um, you know, needing to do the, the most mileage possible or chasing mileage, like adding up their mileage in the training log at the end of a week, sometimes can be an indicator. We're a little too attached to the numbers, you know, running harder on easy days, like, especially one that I catch athletes on a lot is like, I like to prescribe forever effort days or recovery days between more intense days to purposely ask the athlete to run easier because we're really trying to limit the impact forces there. It's like an interlude between two bigger days. And when an athlete's like, oh, I was running easy moderate and I look at their pace and it's like, yeah, you definitely were, but that was a forever effort day. Why did you make that decision? You know, so it's all of those little things. Like when Zoe mentioned, like if, if we do it too often, or like if we do it just at the wrong moment when you're a little more susceptible, and sometimes we aren't perceptive of these things, we don't know they're happening, but they're happening at a, a level underneath the surface, that's when we can get into some trouble. And they usually happen in the context, like usually, typically, everyone's different, right? But like, you're not like, oh, I'm, I struggle with self-regard and therefore I always run and my only thing is that I do the most mileage ever. Usually it's on a context of, and I struggle to rest. So I'm doing really long hikes on my rest day and I struggle to eat enough. So I'm kind of like flirting with some reds and I struggle to, um, take care of myself by going to the PT and I struggle to do, to get the sleep that I need. And I struggle to set boundaries. So like a lot of times it's kind of this mosaic that can lead to being a bit too much. And I really think that like, my red flag for this is like whenever an athlete is doing anything to appeal to an emotional state rather than because it's good training. So if you're not resting in order to self-soothe or you're excessively cross-training in order to self-soothe or you're running hard to change your emotional state, doing any kind of training to change your emotional state isn't training. That's that's starting to get into that territory of we really need to investigate that. And I think that's going to be challenging for a lot of athletes to hear because we we work with many athletes who consider running to be their personal time, to be their stress relief time, and um, to be such an inherent part of, of their day. You know, like a lot of our athletes really are working crazy hours, their parents, like that run is that personal time, but when we don't really realize, and, and it's, I think just for lack of experience, and we need to build this awareness up in all of our athletes, uh, when we don't realize that the workouts are stressful, the workouts are stress. And then when, when we do them in the context of other life stress, that's when we start to get into these challenging yeah. situations. When I've interviewed mental health experts for trail runner about exercise dependency, usually kind of where they draw the line is if you must exercise in order to avoid negative feelings about yourself, that's a problem. If you're exercising to get positive feelings, that's good. That's normal. That's healthy. We can, we can play with that. Mm -hmm. But if you must do it in order to avoid feelings of guilt or shame or negative self-image, that's yeah. where we need to, um, address that with a mental health professional and like start asking questions, start showing that area of our lives a little more care and love. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, a couple, couple other things coming to mind here. Kylie, why don't you talk a little bit about like comparison in training? You had some notes on that. Yeah, I just, uh, I had mentioned a couple of things, um, for people that, you know, might struggle a little bit with comparison syndrome and looking at, especially with Strava. Um, I found that a lot of athletes use that as a tool for like, oh, how good of an athlete am I? Or they look at other people in their area and like get down on themselves if they maybe aren't running as fast as someone else in their community or comparing to like past um, runs that they've done and the same route and then using that as a tool to kind of push themselves even more, even if it's like maybe they have other stresses going on at that time, et cetera. So I think being careful with um, data tools is really important. Um, they can be helpful, but, and it doesn't even have to be Strava, you know, I feel like even using um different devices, um, aura rings, whoop straps, all of that kind of stuff sometimes can 
get in the way of like making progress as an athlete, I think. Uh, and it can limit you in other areas of your life too. So I think, um, you know, trying to not, uh, look at that and, and number one, compare yourself to yourself. And then number two, compare yourself to other people like in the community or even outside your community, um, that, you know, might get in the way of, your progress and um your own pro like your own journey trying to keep your yourself in your own journey versus looking at someone else's maybe um and i think the same thing could be said about social media too i didn't really write a lot about this but i think it's common too to look at oh wow this person is like doing all of these races and like maybe i need to do those races or like wow, their life, you know, looks so uh, easy on social media or whatever, you know, and, and comparing yourself and then having that affect your training too. And, and having you think about like all the things that you maybe think you should be doing, et cetera, um, rather than focusing on your own journey and working with your coach, et cetera. So I think those are two things that I see come up sometimes with athletes that, you know, you might need to take a little social media break or um, if people, if you follow people that are, um, you are constantly comparing yourself to, maybe that's not a good idea. Um, and then with Strava, like trying to take a step back and either not using it or um, trying not to maybe follow people that you would like compare yourself to and, you know, change your training as a result of that. <laughs> hundred percent. I think that that social media trap is really tough for a lot of athletes. I know like we've talked a little bit about this on other calls in kind of different ways, but I, I believe every coach here has kind of taken breaks from social media and, um, and, or has gone off social media for extended periods of time. We've all experienced and, and tried to do watchless runs. Like we've, tried to remove the data. Like we we practice these things. Um, and I think it's important for athletes to realize that because these things are really challenging, especially when we add like other stuff on, it's like, I'm going through an injury and I'm looking at what all these people are doing on the internet. Like I'm going through uh, a health thing and I can't run as many miles as I want. And I'm really looking at what all these other pro runners are doing on Strava. And it's like, mm, you know, like over time, it might not be like the first time or the second time you like are scrolling, but like over time, all of that scrolling can then have a, maybe a negative implication where you do start to think like, hey, I'm not doing enough in my life. Like my life's not fun enough. Like I'm not adventuring enough. I'm not fast enough. Um, all of these, these kind of thoughts can happen. And it's, you know, it's really normal. We kind of want to bring up these scenarios in the hopes that athletes can kind of use this as a way to build awareness around what they have going on habit wise. Um, let's, let me segue over Kristen and Drew kind of like had a nice back and forth about this still in the, in the training vein um, before we move over to kind of like how this kind of manifests in goal setting. Um, but yeah, Kristen, I, I would love to just hear about like, how we should be approaching our workout days and our long run days and, and athletes who kind of have that never enough mentality, how are they maybe sometimes approaching workouts and long runs? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think sometimes the athlete has the um, impression that workouts are meant to prove their fitness to coaches when in reality, you're not proving fitness, you're improving fitness across a long amount of time, right? So as we like to think about the athlete as a whole person, we also have to think about the, like running as a whole process. So it's not just like, you know, one week, all of a sudden you're super fast. One year, all of a sudden you're super fast. These things happen over years and years and years. Um, so I think that, you know, it's really important to, to express to the athletes that there's there's no proving that needs that needs to happen um and I think with harder workouts like like in general as a coach I will never give an athlete a workout I don't believe they can finish so I'm like very explicit with athletes if I give them 
anything that seems intimidating or hard, like I will let them know ahead of time explicitly saying, you know, like, make sure you're fueled for this, make sure you're, you're like mentally prepared for this, make sure you're well rested. Um, just, just because like, I do believe that they can finish this workout and I know it's hard. So even if it feels like a stretch to the athlete, like I know it's not and giving the athlete a little bit of like a confidence boost being like, I would not give this to you if I didn't believe you could finish it. I am not setting you up for failure. Like this is part of the process. This is part of your training block. You're ready. Um, so I think that it's really important to do that, but for some of the athletes I have doing the gorge waterfall races, um, I really have been pushing them to like go out on course or go to like similar terrain and do your workouts there if it's possible, do your long runs there if possible and go have fun, like make good memories so that you can draw on them on race day when shit hits the fan or when the goo doesn't sit right. Or, you know, you kind of tweak an ankle, like, how are you going to adapt? How are you going to problem solve then? Like practice that ahead of time. And I think that that gives athletes a little bit more confidence um, going into race day because they've been practicing this in their daily lives, in their running lives. Um, so I think both of those kind of go hand in hand, but Drew had some really good notes on this too. No, I just want to jump in too. I love the concept that a coach will never give you more than you can handle. Um, while at the same time, there are workouts that are designed to be very difficult. Um, there are days when there we have we have hard runs, all of us do, and we have days when we have easy runs. And sometimes we wake up, we go out and run, and we just feel like shit. That's part of running. It's not always supposed to be easy. Not every single workout you do is going to be a success, but then dwelling on a workout that doesn't go exactly according to plan that you know that maybe you're capable of, but it's not happening for you that day. Um, really no reason to like go down the, you know, I'm horrible uh, uh, rabbit hole. Uh, the idea is anytime workouts like that happen, there's always something good you can pull from a workout, uh, whether it's just like that, um, uh, getting used to stress, like maybe finding your boundaries, maybe just chalking it up to maybe I should have, you know, had a, not like all you can eat fajitas last night before this workout. Maybe I should have done something different then, but, but using it as a means like a, well, I hate saying failed workout, but a, a workout that doesn't go the way it's supposed to um, find the good, find the silver lining, you know, uh, focus on that for just a little bit document it in your log and then forget about it. It never happened. We move forward to the next day and, and just do whatever you need to do to prepare yourself to have a better workout the next day. Yeah. I actually had this happen this week with my workout where I was supposed to do an uphill tempo and the trail was completely overgrown. There were at least six water crossings. I couldn't see anything. I'm terrified of mountain lions, you know, like the whole thing was a mess. And Drew, we touched base on Slack afterwards and I was like, I'm going to need a minute. <laughs> but the fact that I can do that and be frustrated in the moment, but also take away from the fact that like, this is mental toughness training. Even if it isn't the perfect workout, this is great for mental toughness on race day. And I can laugh about it and go on with my day. Like it was the perfect example. I love that you were able to laugh about it and bring some light to what like is just like a tough day. Like you're a great athlete and we all have expectations about how our workouts are supposed to go. And when one goes out the window, you know, if we can laugh about it and kind of just like embrace that in the imperfectness of that situation, it really does allow us to kind of keep things at, you know, the proper distance, right? Like we're not over uh, analyzing, we're not going to like have too tight a grip around it. And, and like in the long run, that workout doesn't really matter, right? Like it's it's like the consistency of, of being good enough and getting the workouts in as often as you can, that really matters. Um, and so, you know, like I like whatever tools and we're gonna get into tools here in, in a couple of minutes, but like whatever tools you have to perpetuate the process and move it forward, those are the tools that we really want to rely on because if we get hung up on these things and we start dwelling, 
we end up in like this stasis gray area where it's very hard to grow as athletes, even if you are still doing the work, if you're still going out and training, but you're still thinking about a workout that happened three days ago, you know, it's less likely so much of this is mental. It's less likely you're going to get the adaptations on that run. Um, awesome. Yeah. Let's talk just briefly about how this might manifest in goal setting. And then, um, we'll get into some tips. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, we haven't heard from you. You're one of our, you are our mental health expert. What, in what ways do you kind of see this manifesting for athletes in terms of like setting goals and things like that? So, you know, I definitely can see when, um, folks are rushing a timeline. <clears throat> so returning from recovery, uh, or, yeah, coming back from a race, coming back from an injury, setting their race schedules for the year. You know, I can see, um, you know, somebody runs their first ultra and then do you think I can do a hundred this year, you know, and they want me to say it's possible and like, but do we have to, right? And so trying to get people to focus on the, that long vision, that infinite process. And like, we've got so much time, why not um, wait until you're going to feel like you can crush it, not just eke it, you know, eke it out. So, yeah, I definitely see like rush timelines and then, um, yeah, big, like goals that are maybe like not their goals, but like are, or like not necessarily something they'd be drawn to, but are influenced by the perception that others have of the accomplishment. So like, maybe they don't really want to be out there running a hundred miles, but they want people to recognize them as a hundred miler sort of thing. Um, or they feel like, um, well, I've done this distance. And so you know, even though I love this distance and it's fun and it's great, I need to accomplish more. Like, what does it mean if I'm not, you know, progressing or whatever? Like they see like they have to either get faster or get or go longer and not just like enjoy where they're at. And, you know, like just, yeah. So that that's how I see it. I think come up with goals. I love all of that. And you even touched on one of those things we hadn't had in the notes there. So, yeah, great work. Um, I, just to add on to that, I think sometimes the, the lily pad approach is something that we see where it's just like one race after another, after another, rather than like digesting and really celebrating a race and then using the period that happens after that to like level up and get into another build. So we can actually raise the floor and become a better athlete. Instead, the athlete already has a race on the plan. That's so close to that next race that that makes that process impossible. So we're not talking about a growth process anymore. We're only talking about a goal process. And in what's inherent in that is like, we just get into this pattern of like maintain, uh, rest, race, recover, maintain, and we never grow. Um, and so then, you know, what happens is like, sometimes that athlete, they start to make it to a bunch of finish lines and then they're like, mm, I'm not getting that, that feeling, like that kind of that feeling that Zoe talked about earlier in the call where it's like these races, like maybe they're not meeting that emotional kind of need that I have you know, where they were before. I'm feeling great. Like I'm going from one to the next and it's filling me up, filling me up. And then it kind of like stops. And we've all seen this as coaches. And then that athlete has more or less like a reckoning moment with all of that, where they have to like hold that, all of those feelings. And it's like, oh my God, eh, this isn't really about like, I'm the same person I always was, even though I have all these belt buckles. Um, and that's where like the goal setting process is so important, right? Where we're like trying to embrace and accentuate the importance of the journey process over like the goal setting process. Um, I think this is really, really important because we're all racing. Like I look at everybody who's on the call and everybody who's going to listen to this call. We like, I bet you like 90% of the people have already race goals for 2023. And so like just putting that, those goals in the right context, like those goals are ideally a celebration of the journey and the improvements we're making. Um, rather than a like 
big like point on the map that we have to get like this huge life-changing feeling from um because it's it's the whole process that like changes things it's not it's not just the goal um i'm curious if like any of the other coaches yeah just like want to add on to this for a minute before we kind of like get into some yeah tips and tricks for working through this stuff i think the goal timeline element that Sarah mentioned is so, so critical. I would say like, whenever I have an athlete, that's like, I need to run a hundred miles and I need to do it now. I'm like, I don't believe that you actually care about this because anything that you actually care about, you'll take years to do, you know, like if you care about partnership, no one's ever like, I want to get married. I'm going to do it this year. Like that's insane. We know that, like, we know that foisting, you know, arbitrary timelines onto what should be long-term processes I think that that's a way that sometimes we inadvertently undermine our engagement with things rather than trying to like really pursue them wholeheartedly. And like, I was running consistently for more than half a decade before I attempted a 100 and TJ has been running for a a decade before he's going to attempt his, like, those are really the kind of timelines we're playing with. And it doesn't just have to be a hundred. It could be a marathon. It could be a half marathon, but if you are trying to force something into a timeline, I think that you don't actually, like you're not fully caring about it. Sure. And those goals just have to feel really authentic to you. Like Sarah mentions, like, is this somebody else's goal for you? Yeah. Is this like what you're hoping, you know, the perception of you will be if you complete the goal or like give it a shot? You know, we really want to be careful about that kind of stuff especially I'm going to go out there and and shout this out for the ultra runners, especially when we're running ultras, because that stress is so significant that, and I have seen this so many times as a coach, you have that athlete who pushes the timeline and then they leave the sport after. And it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy because we leave all of that potential because the athlete pushed the timeline and there's burnout there's the musculoskeletal system needing so much time to get back to where it was after the stress of the event that it's we can't hold that timeline anymore it takes too long and like all of these things these little pitfalls that happen by simply making this one decision and like it's why i as a coach like i always when i have an athlete who's only done one ultra or two ultras and they want to push a hundred miler and we haven't even been working together for a year it's why i always and push them to to push that decision a year it's like why do we have to do it this year like what's the importance of that and like to me their answer is going to reveal a lot yeah um and it's not i'm not judging i'm trying to get the information i need to help that athlete make the best possible decision so they can approach this from an infinite mindset i want to grow over years because i love the process of growing i love the the journey that this takes me on i love all the things i get to do along the way whether they're 5k's or 100 milers it's about doing that over a long period of time so we can truly like discover who we are discover our potential all of that stuff that like doesn't happen in the in the moment doesn't happen in the finite moment all right well let's i don't know unlock some of this stuff um we've got some i hope you guys think these are good tips um i think like this stuff is all so long-term based so when we're thinking about like how we approach working with our you know never enough mentalities and i think we all have like a part of us that's like that. And so like, we need to be putting these things into, into practice on a daily basis. Um, so let's get into it a little bit here. Um, Sarah, let's, let's talk about understanding the why behind workouts and in training, why that might help us kind of like work through that never enough mentality. Yeah. So I think that if you understand why um, your coach gives you the mileage that they give you, why a rest day is a rest day, what the different workouts are for, then you're less tempted to um, take an easy day really hard or to skip your rest day because you have an understanding of the, even if, 
even if we don't take in the mental piece of it at all and you're just strictly like i want to be fast and strong like we can talk to you about why the science behind what we're doing makes sense for your body and will get you faster and stronger right and so i think like if you if that's what it's all about we can tell like whether we have like you know, bad science in our history, or we have bad coaches or whatever, we have these assumptions or these beliefs about what a faster workout means or a harder workout means or whatever. And if, if that's the, the why that we're working with, we're going to make poor choices. And if we understand the why behind you signed up with microcosm, like there, there's a whole approach here. There's a whole philosophy here. And when you understand the why behind that and buy into it and embrace it, it's, it's going to work for you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. I love like embracing that why. And if you're an athlete who doesn't know the why, you know, feel free to ask like, or Google, why do easy days easy? You don't even have to ask. Like I guarantee there are some, like a lot of this stuff isn't like proprietary microcosm stuff. Like we're not easy days easy. Yeah. (laughs) I spoiler alert. Like everyone does that. Um, yeah, gosh, I love Googling stuff. You feel free to Google. (laughs) (laughs) Um, all right. Just getting out the door. A lot of days, like that's enough. Kristen, let's let's go into that a little bit. Yeah, I think um, for most people, like just getting out the door is enough. And if you show up on the bad days, even if it's like less ideal than what you were planning for, whether it's a long run, a workout, an easy run, you're still maintaining the habit of like doing the thing. So I think with that mindset and approach, like even if it's only 10 minutes or 20 minutes, you're still proving to yourself that you can show up when it's hard or when you're not at all motivated. And I think for me, like, I don't know. A lot of times I think that the most important promises we make are the ones that we make to ourselves. And by showing up over and over and over and like getting in the habit of running every day, even when it's hard, even when you don't want to, I think that that's an example of this, but I think too, at the end of the day, like if you can look yourself in the mirror and know that you did your best and you can be honest about it and say like, yeah, maybe I didn't, maybe I could be better tomorrow. That's, that's fine. But like knowing that you gave it what you could on that day is so important and, you know, maintaining the habit of running or the habit of whatever it is matters. Um, and I think that that's a really good landmark for this entire process. Totally. I mean, this is just so much about just showing up, right? Like if we just show up just as we are each day, knowing that like, that's going to be different day to day because we're, we're people and we have a variety of different external things that affect us. Uh, we go out and we give things a shot and we don't write the story before we've tried um, we, and like, I've seen this a million times in athletes. I was just checking a log this morning before the call with an athlete who had like a really imperfect, like fall. And they took like a l- more down days than they thought they would. And they had more extra stuff going on in life and didn't train quite the way that they thought they were. And there was a lot of self-judgment in that process. And then, you know, like, but they kind of like just stuck with it and, I don't know, like leaned in a little bit to those feelings and worked with them as best they were able to. Um, And eventually, you know, and now we're here, it's been like three or four months and they're running workouts faster than they ever were. And it's important to note that like, sometimes we don't see the growth on the surface. We think we're not showing up and doing enough, but, oh, you're getting out 10, 20 minutes. Like, you're still getting out, like you're still reinforcing adaptation. The compounding consistency principle is a real thing. Like you were, you were doing your best and like, look, now you're, you've discovered you have more than you thought you did. And like the crazy thing about running is we can spend a lot long time on the plateau, especially as you've been doing this for longer. And you don't know like when you're going to have that breakthrough workout where it like, where things like really express themselves and you're like, damn, I was flying. Um, and that's kind of part of this, but it eventually you will feel that everybody does. Um, you know, so just like, if you just keep getting out the door and say, good, you know, good is good enough. 
um, it can just be so helpful. And I think that it's hard to get to that place. But if you, you know, lean on your coach, if you, you know, express that you're struggling with these things and, you know, we're just trying to get some validation from the coach here and ask what you need, like, I need some validation. Am I doing enough? Yes, you're doing enough, you know, and keep doing it. Just keep repeating, rinse and repeat. Like you're going to find that there is something special on the other side of that. I think something that comes up for me, like as a coach, when I see an athlete apologizing when they've done their best, like, I'm so sorry, I was up all night with a sick kid and my husband was out of town. And you know what? 20 minutes is like all I had today. Like, don't apologize. You did your best. Like, I will never expect an athlete to do more than what they are capable of doing. Like, that would be bad. That is not possible. I will never expect that. And I really want us all to work on not apologizing when we're giving our best because that apology is coming from a place of like, I feel the need to explain why I didn't defy the laws of physics and like do something that's not possible. Right. So like never apologize when you've done your best, never justify it. Just this was my best today. I gave it like, I'm never as a, like, it really like grates at my being, but I also get it because like I'm a woman and I was raised in the same culture and I apologize for random shit like all the time when someone's like, I'm so sorry. I only had 30 minutes today. You know, I like, you know, was like, had to take care of like a sick, like I am caretaking for children and a parent and like all this stuff, like don't apologize. Like, I think we need to remove the need to explain away when we've done our best. Like I am a person. I know that people's best looks different on different days that's the level we're that we all need to be on. Yeah, we want to own. We want to own that. Own your best. Like, don't apologize. Like, your best is your best. I will never be disappointed in someone for that. I will never judge. Like, my best looks real different on different days. Like, I'm a person. I've been peopling this whole time. I get it. Please don't apologize. So a couple uh, other tips. Oh, Sarah, go ahead. I and So the part of, like, the, the thing about the why earlier to kind of circle back to that and with what Zoe's just saying about like some days are you know we're not we know at the start of the workout it's not going to be maybe what is prescribed whatever setting an intention at the beginning of the workout so whether that is you know okay this is all I have today is 20 minutes I'm going to make the most of this 20 minutes or this is a recovery day so I'm not going to you know I'm going to be really intentional about keeping it easy setting that intention and then checking in with yourself throughout the workout as a way to um, stick with you know you've got a why and not just a why for the overall thing but like a why for today for this workout today yeah awesome that's such a good tip and I want to add on to that a little bit with how do we keep some of these finite like data points and stuff at bay, which I know for a lot of athletes, when we're finding ourselves in that trap of like racing our workouts and self-evaluating like how every long run should feel. I mean, like training should feel hard. Training shouldn't, you shouldn't always be feeling like you're crushing it. Um, to me, that indicates like we, maybe we need to put like a little more spice in there to kind of elicit some of those challenging feelings because like stress, is, you know, creates adaptation after rest. Um, and so we need to be pushing a little bit on these things. So if we're always self-evaluating, something I like to have athletes do is one, um, set your work up in your watch with the vibration feature. So you never have to look down at your watch during a workout. That means you're never gonna have to look at the data. You won't see what your splits are ideally. Then when we're not looking at our splits, we don't have that process of self-evaluation going on. Like this split is 15 seconds a mile slower than that one, or I'm fa faster or slower than last week. That Those are ways where we can disengage from that process and really just kind of feel how things feel and feel, especially for ultra runners and trail runners, feel is so important. Splits and pace goes right out the window as soon as you're on trails. So we really want to develop that feel. Um, another thing we mentioned it earlier in the call is just limiting like social media and Strava use, especially if you're one of those athletes who goes in and checks their splits later on Strava. It, that's just a great way to access like self-comparison and self-judgment. And we really like it's uh, just separate yourself from that. I would say in your life, identifying any trigger of 
self-judgment could be a scale. It could be like, I don't know, maybe the bowl that you're currently using for your breakfast doesn't work for you. Like I have, we all, lots of different things can trigger like scales, mirrors, social media, Strava, your watch, like whatever that is for you. Like if you have like another thing, like if you have clothes that trigger negative self-judgment, fucking throw those away. Like only wear things, only keep things in your life that make you feel good and healthy and help you build positive habits. Anything that can be construed as a tool of negative self-judgment, get that out of your life. Remove it. Yeah. Heck yeah. Get, pants, get rid of that watch. Pants that are insufficiently stretchy. Get stretchier pants. Um, oh, yeah. I had really... Yeah a really good experience with asking an athlete to remove their watch for one week of training. Um, They were obsessing over Strava data, over pace, like over all of the data that you get from your watch. Um, And at first they were really hesitant to do so because they wanted to maintain their chart on Strava, right? So it was like, even if they're doing a treadmill run, it was like no different, just input it on Strava and be done. Um, But after the first week, there is a a shift in their running, in their mindset, in their personal relationships. And it was, it was absolutely mind-blowing. And at the end of that first week of watchless running, um, like I guess going into it, I really tried to drive home the fact that we want to get back to running at what feels right. Like basing, like we always talk about how pace or easy isn't a pace, it's an effort. And so really focusing on the effort you're expounding when you're running. And if it feels easy, that's easy enough for that day. If it feels hard, that's probably too hard for your easy day. Um, But after that first week of watchless running, they actually asked if it was okay if they could do a few more weeks of training without the watch. And now we're two months in, and they're using their watch again, but they're not so focused on the data that it's unhealthy and unproductive. And it's been a complete shift in how this athlete approaches their running, which is the coolest thing. I love that because any athlete can do that and make that change. Um, and I think sometimes it's helpful for a coach to kind of be the impetus for that. Like, hey, let's try to take that watch off and get out there and and get back to like what feels right because in the end like this process has to be about contentedness joy like having fun um those are the kind of feelings and emotions that perpetuate this through the highs and the lows long term um so just so critical and when we let's bring this into the kind of the goal setting realm here for a few minutes because i i do want to make sure we've got time to talk about some of these mindfulness uh habits and approach um but with our goals here I think one, there's a couple of ways we can, we can do this one, bring your coach into the conversation with goal setting, because your coach is going to ask you the tough questions. Why are you doing this? What's the reasoning behind that? You know, like when we bring somebody else into the conversation to help validate what we're thinking, mirror back to us, what we're thinking, um, or ask us like thought provoking or difficult questions. Um, it generally is going to help us to, make better choices over time, right? Like when we're using other people, it's really helpful. We can't, as runners, we're very goal oriented. So don't just rely on yourselves. We can fall into some of these traps we talked about before. Um, I think like the same thing kind of, this kind of goes in the same vein with that, but like, what are you thinking about your timelines and your perspective on those timelines? Like, why does this goal have to happen this year? Like, maybe I need to ask my coach and he can give me a very, or he or she can give me a very like honest evaluation of where we're at. And for example, if you've got, uh, I'm coaching an athlete, they're going to, they're running a 50 K the buildup hasn't like gone flawlessly. There've been like niggles and challenges. And some of that is like totally normal, but we're not like where we need to be right now, volume wise to really approach a hundred in a safe way. And so you like, if I choose that hundred and sign up, like your coaches, I'm just going to be like, boom, I will support you. Let's go. But if you involve me in the process, I'm going to give you some other ideas on timelines for that because of these very specific reasons that we can cite in the training. And so that's really important. Also have to ask ourselves, like, what is that? Like, 
what is our level of, of stress? Like, what does our life circumstance look like now? Like, are we making decisions based on some kind of idealized view of where we're going to be at? Um, because what you have now is we need to assume that's like the bandwidth you have for the training you want to do. Um, it most likely will because life doesn't get really, easier. Doesn't always get easier. Yeah. And, and so like the habits we have now, what we formed now, we need to rely on those things to get us to the goal. We can't ask the goal to change us. A That's not going to happen. A framework that I found helpful, not just in goal setting, but like a struggle I have is like saying yes to work related things that I don't have the bandwidth for because of a never enough mentality. Um, reading a book, it's called Happiest Hour. The author who is a like, time management researcher at Stanford says that if you would not say yes to something today, then you should not say yes to it two weeks from now, four weeks from now, five months from now, because your bandwidth is unlikely to radically change. And we tend to imagine that in the future, we'll be less stressed. We'll have more time. We'll have more bandwidth. This is not the case. Um, so if you are like, if that goal doesn't really feel good to you now like if you're the kind of person who's like oh i'm going to start the strength training habit next week i'll start it next week i'll be the kind of person that has a strength training habit next week um i think that that merits interrogation so like don't like if like it it you know again like it's kind of this like tension between like even if you're not the kind of person who's ready to run a 100 miler today you might be ready down the road but like don't set a habit in the hope that you will radically change as a person on the way. And I think, let me just jump in. Cause I think, and also life circumstance changes. And so when we think about goal flexibility, this is something we mentioned earlier, athletes who tend to be caught up in that never enough mentality have trouble being flexible and changing their goals when life circumstances really warrant that. And so if you've done hundreds before, if you've crushed 5Ks before, you know, if you were running consistently before, whatever it is, that can still look different today. And so we also can't make choices about what we're going to do in the future based on what we were able to do in the past. Like this is where, you know, bringing in your coach can be really helpful because we need to be able to meet the athlete where they are now, not where we hope they can be. The idea is to get them to that point. But we need to bring in a lot of small steps along the way, like micro goals, intermediary goals, all of these things to help get there. And so like there's not like always a clear timeline on that. And that's like why good coaching really adapts to the feedback and the information the coach receives from the athlete, not a predetermined structure based on, you know, what some guy wrote in a book. This is about like what actually works in real life and is truly evidence based. Um, and so if you don't bring your coach into these conversations, it gets muddier. Like there's much more gray area involved in these things. Like, how are we approaching this goal? Uh, oh, are you trying to do hundred because you did hundred last year, but like this year you started a new job, you just had a kid, like all of these other things are like affecting what you can handle now. And so like, oh, what's more achievable? Yeah. Like let's do a trail marathon. Like that's perfect. Um, and you still get to spend time on trails. You still get to connect to your why. You still get to connect to your values. And then when we do that and we complete that goal, we can reevaluate and see where things are and then continue to move the process forward. Um, I just think that that continual discussion, inner dialogue with yourself, external dialogue with your coach can be really helpful. And this to me really ties into kind of the last piece of this call here. And I know maybe if some of the coaches need to go, I'm totally, totally fine. But that mindfulness approach, like we really want to use a mindfulness approach to develop our self-awareness around these things. Sarah, do you have a minute to talk a little bit about that? I do. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about like, if you have things in your social media feed, maybe one time you see it one time here and there, it's not going to do anything, but you see those same things over and over again. And then you might begin to have some new beliefs about yourself. And the same way that we can have those negative impacts from repetition, we can positively change our brain to tell ourselves good things. Um, but to do that, we have to have awareness that we are in these sort of thinking traps to begin with. So I think spending some time 
in reflection and paying attention and asking yourself, you know, do I, am I tired all the time? Am I doing more than my coach tells me? Am I sometimes putting things in the log that, that are not telling my coach what I really did because I don't want them to know that I did more, those sorts of things, you know, spend some time in reflection, really pay attention to how you're feeling, um, and just try to get that awareness and, and get to the, like, we've been talking a lot about, is it because, you know, maybe somebody feels a lack of self-worth or self-value, but there could also be other reasons that people try harder or push themselves all the time, not feeling comfortable sitting still because they're not comfortable with their feelings or fears around failure or fears around not trying hard enough. So trying to get to the root of those things and then catching those feelings when they're happening and reframing them or telling yourself affirmations and rewiring the brain to be more helpful. I really like that, Sarah. I think that's just so important. Um, gaining awareness around all of this stuff over time really sets us up to, yeah, make more informed choices on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and I, I really like that you mentioned affirmations. I think that they are truly a very powerful tool for athletes to use when we're kind of confronting uh, these situations, like when nerves come up, when I, you know, I'm feeling like maybe I'm not good enough today. Cause like I woke up tired and you know, all of these things happen. Um, I like athletes to try to develop a few affirmations for themselves when they're not feeling uh, like they're enough. Um, and I would be more than happy to, uh, you know, share, a document with some, you know, affirmation ideas for athletes who are kind of dealing with that, like never enough mentality. Um, because I feel like when we have that tool to just implement, when we catch us and we want to like become aware of these things. So then we know when to implement the tool. Um, and so, you know, and this is stuff that like I do, cause I have, I have struggles with this. Um, but one thing I like for grounding that can be really helpful is four, seven, eight breathing. This is something that I, I just suggest all of my athletes do when they're feeling anxious or just in a, a situation that's challenging or they're trying to work through a decision. It's like, well, when we're working through this stuff, sometimes we, we feel a little disconnected. Um, and so just grounding ourselves with, with deep breathing can get us back to a place where we're bringing oxygen to our brains and we're like able to make a more clear and precise decision. Um, essentially, four, seven, eight breathing is breathing in for a count of four, holding the breath for a count of seven, and exhaling for a count of eight. And you do that four times. And it's not like we're not sitting in meditation. This isn't like a long process. Um, so it is something you can do during the workday is something that you can do like before you start your hill repeats, like whatever it is. Like I have athletes who like to do this like after work as a way to kind of like compartmentalize work and start to shift in and turn on their like, this is the rest of my life brain. Um, and that like, I love that. I love this process and would recommend it for everybody else. Um, also like you can couple like those kind of breathing things with visualization too, which is really cool and want to talk more about in next week's call. Um, but just starting, just, you know, start to think about like places that elicit like that sense of peace for you as an athlete could be like a, a beautiful view or, um, you know, like a, a home cooked meal that your mom makes, like something that like brings you peace, brings you comfort. And we want to have like those, those images on um, that we can then bring up when we're doing four, seven, eight breathing or other deep breathing exercises, because they elicit like an inner peace and an inner calming. And when we're in that state, we're better able to make decisions that, you know, that kind of confront that never enough mentality or help us like realize we're in that state and then make a decision that, you know, isn't um, influenced by that state. Sarah, does that, like, you You really are the resident expert on this. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Um, the one thing I would just add is that those tools will all be more effective if you practice them in times of calm. So affirmations are more effective if you practice affirmations multiple times a day during periods of calm because of that idea that repetition creates new neuropathways. Um, similarly, like visualization for it to create that 
feeling in you when you're doing the breathing. It wants to be something that you practice during like a mindfulness visualization exercise or something. So it, for it, it, it can work in the moment, but like the most effective way for it to work is to practice it regularly all season long. Yeah, like a tool, you know, we're constantly, I don't know, like sharpening, like, you know, the, the tip of our knife or whatever, like we're always engaging with it and developing our ability to use it. And I love that, um, you know, practice in, in moments of calm. And this is kind of where I want to, yeah, just again, for, you know, the 100th time is ask athletes to consider meditation um, as a way to practice these things. Um, it is truly a life altering tool. Um, everybody that I work with who has started to implement that tool into their, you know, their toolbox over time says, my God, thank you for that recommendation because like that has really helped me. I feel more grounded. Like I am changing, you know, the way my brain works by doing this and eliciting that like calm space. And like you said, Sarah, if we practice these things when we're in non-stressful situations and then begin to use them when the stress knob turns up, we we've developed that like muscle memory around it. We have the imaging already. Like we know what that peaceful place looks like. We can see it in great detail and then it makes the tool stronger and more effective. Um, and really that's, that's the key, right? Um, it's going to give us that ability to confront things with a logical mind. It's going to give us that ability to better implement affirmations and mantras. It's going to give us the ability to, uh, challenge difficult beliefs that we might have um, and explore where they come from and things like that. And most importantly, it's going to kind of give us that non-judgmental space to do those things, which I think is probably the real crux of, of all of it. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to think about the fact that we might be in a never enough mindset. I mean, I think a little bit of that self-evaluation can bring up feelings of not being enough. I know that like, for me, it definitely does. It's like, uh, I get frustrated when I'm not doing things in the optimal way. And like, although that's like part of life, I still recognize it's like, oh, I'm holding myself to a really difficult standard and a high expectation. Like, okay, like let, you know, in approaching that non-judgmentally where it doesn't become a referendum on who I am. And this is really important for athletes to understand, especially when thinking about running, because when we approach every day as a referendum on what kind of athlete we are, we really muddy the waters and we take away from that joy and the joy and the contentedness that we should be getting out of this or hope to get out of this to perpetuate the process forward. Mindfulness is a way to really work towards self-compassion um, and being able to approach these things non-judgmentally so then we can get more joy and more, you know, of all of those good feels that we want, like from spending time on trails or running in our neighborhood or running with friends, whatever it might be. Well, awesome. Yeah. Thanks uh, everybody for, for tuning in for, this was a little longer than I expected it to be, but such a good conversation. And yeah, Sarah, always appreciate your insights as our, our, resident mental health expert you really are the most knowledgeable and sarah does have a lot of these tools available for people fireweed counseling visit her website check it out um i know that like whenever i go on there i'm amazed at the offerings and just like like even some of your like programs they can do when they're not working with you one-on-one -on -one. like all of that can help athletes out so much um all this is in the same vein. All right. Thanks, guys. I hope everybody has a great weekend and we'll see you next week. Hey, guys. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah.